In this podcast, we continue in Daniel chapter 9, introducing God's answer to Daniel's prayer with the presentation of the 77s. But in this session, we return to Daniel's example of serving God in a pagan world. Accordingly, a number of individuals shared how they had opportunities to share the gospel with unbelievers and to share what it means to walk Christianly with believers. We hope Daniel's and their example may encourage you to share God's truth with others as he presents you with opportunities. Welcome to a series on the book of Daniel. This podcast is presented by Sefer Audio Productions in conjunction with Foothill Bible Church of Lincoln, California. These messages are presented as part of the Adult Sunday School program. Your speaker is Pastor Jeff Cragen. Now let's step into the classroom as the session is about to begin. We've all heard about the individuals that get the medical news that they're terminal and you see the ads, right? You don't come with an expiration date. But what's interesting is how people respond to these. And there's whole movies and stuff built around that theme, you know, if somebody's limited time. And so some people choose to make good use of the time they have left, positive, family, all that kind of stuff. I only got one thing left on my bucket list. I only had two to begin with, so that's <laughs> I got a very short bucket list. Right? Yeah. Pale, actually. I don't have a bucket list. Um, but then, of course, we hear the <laughs> accounts of those who are less than responsible, right? Who run up all their credit cards, go completely into debt, do everything they want on somebody else's expense, figuring when they die, good luck on collecting what's owed. People are hedonistic. It's like, he who dies with the most toys wins. Used to be that bumper sticker, remember? Yeah. But. The reality is the Lord gives us a limited amount of time. Now, some of us is getting older. The definition of limited, his definition and our definition are obviously not quite the same thing. But it's, and I don't mean to be a downer by talking about this stuff. But the idea is this two things. One, it should be a comfort because we know sooner or later we're going to go home to be with the Lord. And as crazy as things are going in the world, that maybe it'll be sooner than later. That would be nice. And so the other thing, though, is that should always remind us that we need to be busy for him. Because with Daniel, we read time seems to be getting even shorter because we only have one week left. <laughs> but the other thing with Daniel, we see, is which is always weird, right? When you pray for something and God answers it and you're surprised. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you remember, and you may not because it's a couple of weeks ago, I did give a homework assignment, which you may have carried out without even remembering, which is just to be open to opportunities the Lord might put in your life to share truth with somebody over the last couple of weeks. So... Did anybody do that intentionally or unintentionally? Anybody have anything to share? I hope so, because I have left time for it. Yeah. Well, I just kind of uh, thought back, you know, last week, that the week before we had care home, and for some reason I found a Bible in my garage that had super large print in it. And I thought, who can I give 
this too, but it sat out there for a while. And then I took it one day to the care home thinking one of those people would want it. And they go, no, no, we don't need that, we don't need that. But when we pull up every Sunday, there's a man sitting out there maybe smoking, you know, and he calls me his girlfriend because I have a Cadillac. He goes, there's my girlfriend with the Cadillac. <laughs> anyway, that's all he says, you know. I just say hi. Well, this past Sunday, nobody wanted the Bible. And he was wheeling by, and he goes, hey, you don't happen to have a spare Bible, do you? Wow. I, go, I just happen to have a super large print Bible right here. And I said, plus, you need to come to our meetings at 2 o'clock. So Whoa. there it was, you know, so unexpected. Gee, what a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And I always like those kind of accounts because that shows God's got everything planned out. And we're totally unaware of it. And then something like that happens. Whoa, that's really cool. Anybody else? Yes? Yeah, I went to visit this woman in my older neighborhood, where my daughter lives. I went to visit her. And talking, um, talking, was, I was not planning on giving her the gospel. But all of a sudden, just came out. So I gave her the gospel. She's Catholic. And she says, I got to stick to my religion. Then I asked her questions. Well, and that's all we're called to do is plant seeds. And that's what happens, right? Well, we may say, hey, Lord, help me be aware today. It's like the door opens up totally unexpectedly. We didn't plan to, and all of a sudden, there we are in conversation. Yeah. Actually, I think that's when God's working. Those are more effective than... Okay, I've got it all planned out, and I'm going to make it happen. Then we also tend to tighten up, too, if it's too planned, right? Anybody else? Yes? I didn't even know I was doing homework, because I haven't been here. Um, so, last week, a friend of mine at work had a heart attack. No. She's, she's okay. Our, our mutual friend texted me to tell me the news, and my our five-year-old daughter, Clara, was right there when I got the text, and so, of course, I was shocked. I said, oh, no. And she asked what happened. I said, well, you know, my friend Lisa is sick. Something's wrong with her heart. And somehow Clara knows the phrase heart attack. She said, was it a heart attack? I, I said, yes. And I was thinking, how does she know that? Um, <laughs> anyhow, that was a week ago, and... Um, my friend Lisa's an atheist, or at the very least an agnostic. I'm pretty sure she's, she's an atheist. Two nights ago at bedtime, Clara was praying, and she paused, and she said, Mommy, can I pray for your friend who had the heart attack? And I said, sure, sweetie, and she asked what her name was, and she prayed for Lisa. And afterwards, I thought about it, and I thought, I'm going to text Lisa and tell her. Uh, I texted, and I said, you know, I just want you to know that the Weep Line ladies love you, and Clara just prayed for you to feel better. And she wrote back, she was like, that is so sweet, thank you, and you know, tell her I'm, you know, I send her a hug. So that honestly is a big step for me, because it used to be I would have really overthought it and thought, oh, she's an atheist, maybe I shouldn't tell her, and I thought, you know what, she's my friend, I love her, I'm telling her, why not, plant the seed. Yeah, and that's 
the thing. Do we care about people enough to, to, to yeah. be open with them and just whatever happens is what happens? Right. But in this case, was it God using Clara? Exactly. Who's going to say, oh, don't let you know that's what they're right. going to say. That's sweet. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So, for those of you that have just come in, we're looking at homework, which was, any time in the last couple of weeks have you had opportunities expected or unexpected to share the Lord with somebody or to share some of God's truth or some yes band that I'm in been lately playing over at Sportsman Hall and we've been kind of like sitting in for another band and their banjo player is the one who taught me bluegrass and uh, he's got a uh, kind of a heart condition with a virus and stuff like that and he was uh, I was sitting wondering what kind of what could I say you know and so he was making uh Mark that he was he and a friend of us was in a truck and they uh, they were down I forget what city they were in and they were make and they were at a Catholic church and he was making some snide remarks about some of the sisters or saying something or whatever and uh, of course apparently they didn't take too kindly to that and so as they were going on their way home the truck ran out of gas and the vehicle just barely limped into a gas station and he says. Oh, God must have really loved me. I said, it's more than you know. <laughs> and that's all I could say because, you know, I don't know what I could say to uh, to open the door to get in there because, I mean, he could fall dead at any time and that's how serious his condition is. Well, and God opens the doors and gives opportunities and that may be the start of a door, but at some point with somebody like that who can go at any time, that's one of the few cases I tend to suggest maybe you don't wait for the, you pray about it and then maybe kick in the door to, to at least give it once because you never know. And, and that's true for everybody. But when we know it's somebody that could go at any time, we need to just pray, Lord, give me any kind of opening to go in and give the gospel message because it's up to the Holy Spirit to the person who does Well, what I understand too yeah. that the bass player in their band is also a Christian, so... So who knows, he may have already been talking to, but, yeah. yeah. I'm finding it, especially since I spend so much time with nurses these days, um, <laughs> men and women alike, um, I'm finding that the phrase, God is good, is a good icebreaker entry point to the conversation, because they ask you how you're doing, how you're feeling before they begin the process. And if you say God is good, um, they usually will nod their head and say yes, and, but then I, I'm able to proceed from there saying, but it doesn't matter if we think something negative, God is still good. And because they've seen, they've seen it come up and down, up and down mm -hmm. through, the, through the process. And many of those ladies, and Aaron, Aaron's not a believer, he's, um, he's all business, he's not engaging yet. Mm -hmm. But um, the other ones, uh, quite a few of them are believers, and you find that out. And it's very encouraging to mm -hmm. be worked on by someone who trusts the Lord. And one of the gals says her favorite thing in the whole world is, is to walk through her house and see her husband on his knees talking to God. That's her favorite thing to see. Yeah, we'll be going. So there's a lot of encouragement going on there. And this last week was Diane, and, and she um, she's a believer. She was right there, and I talked about the Lord and His plan for people's lives. And um, you know, we lived long enough on this earth to either accept or reject Christ, and then we're gone. And, um, and she acknowledges that, and she says, yeah, absolutely, and she's, uh, she shared her faith as well. So it's just, a, you know, God is good is a nice mm -hmm. entry point to, like, 
because they don't really understand what you say until you're going to try to explain it. Yeah. And, and then the conversation opens up. For me, that's what works for yeah. me. Yeah. Good. Anybody else has some opportunities? I won't limit to the last two weeks if you want to share something yeah. older than that. Go feel free. <laughs> but that's what we keep talking about is two things, God's sovereignty and living for God in a pagan <clears throat> society, which is certainly where we are. And we need to think in those terms. We need to think in terms that many people today are not open to Christianity because their understanding of Christianity has been presented and twisted in such a way that they're absolutely clueless about what Christianity is. You really know that when they start comparing fundamental Christianity <coughs> with radical Islam. It's like, and what planet are you on? Because the media and elements within the society have tried to picture Christianity that way. What is it, the Southern League Law Conference or whatever that group is that is equated focus on the family and some yeah, of these things with uh, being hate-filled, radicalized, you know, agencies. So... Wait, what's the story? This organization has been the Southern, one that presents that. Southern law. The, Southern, that the Southern Poverty Law Center? Yes. Is that the one? Yeah. And they put a list of those that are radical hate organizations, oh. and they've started putting just really conservative, biblically sound Christian organizations on that list of, and then pushing advertisers and stuff to pull off websites, to oh. Amazon not to accept those donations made to those groups, all this kind of thing. And like they become so radicalized that even some of the fairly liberal end of the spectrum is starting to look at them and say, what are you guys, whack jobs? Mm -hmm. They're losing their credibility, which is the good news. Mm -hmm. They have something that they call a hate map. <coughs> and yes. if you end up on the hate map, what that is, that's just basically their list of ones that they do not approve of. But once you're on that, you're grouped with everybody else. You could be very light in your beliefs or your, you know, your, your what you call it, Maybe be very radical, but once you're on the list, you're on Well, the and the list was pretty sound up until fairly recently when they started going after groups that on secondary issues they didn't agree with and started putting basically everything that was a conservative Christian group on that list. Yeah, there was somebody that actually said that they were targeting people on that list. There was somebody... Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, last, before we get into too politicized, which... I tend to avoid. <laughs> Any last uh, opportunities to share what, where you have had a chance to witness to anybody? Yes? Another one. Uh, this was probably 15 years ago. I was having lunch with a co-worker back in New York. And um, we were talking uh, because he mentioned that he was a Baptist, you know, that, so we, that kind of opened the conversation. Um, I don't know if he's really a believer or not, but he was getting in, he, at that time, his whole life he was raised Baptist, but at that time he was just getting into this um, I forget what the name, there's a specific name for the religion that brings all the gods together, and you believe in God, it doesn't. Yeah. So he was starting to explain that to me, so I asked him a question, I said, uh, of all the gods that you've named, um, what do they all have in common? He says, I don't understand. I said, they've all died. Hmm. He said, okay, yeah, they've all died. I said, okay, now of all those gods that you're claiming, what stands apart from all of them? And he said, Jesus. I said, yes, because Jesus rose from the dead and the other ones are still dead. 
And I told him, I says, that's what separates Jesus. And now with the resurrection, you know who is the one and only true God. And he looked in my eyes and he said, Ron, that's a good point. Well, and so I don't know if he's a believer or not, but at least he went away with some thoughts. Well, and that's the thing. Synchronism never works. You can't pull multiple different positions together that are in radical disagreement and <coughs> say they're all valid unless you completely shut off your brain, which of course is part of the problem today because so many people have chosen to shut their brains off. Yes? And an example of that, when, when, when Mom was in the hospital, we had all sorts of, I couldn't tell you how many different people we, we shared with yeah. and encouraged, but one of the nurses was from Southern India, a uh, believer, Christian, uh, in, worships in a tradition, uh, a church that was founded by Thomas, the, the, the apostle, the one the doubting Thomas. And, uh, and, and so it's fun to talk some of that, but then one of the problems you have in India is God is one of the gods on the shelf, not the God on the shelf. And, and he also wanted to share the secret healing words that his grandfather uses as the town shaman. And it's one of those, that, and it ended up being uh, scripture, just a psalm, but, it, but he thought that those were words of power that you could speak over some situation to cause stuff to happen. And so we had some fun discussions trying to bring him back to, 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 to truth on, on some of that. It was not bad to ever say scripture to somebody yeah. or pray scripture over anything, but to go to somebody who's, you know, shaking reeds and putting blood on your face to say words really fast that you can't quite understand for hope for healing. We're not, that's not where your hope is. And, and so just some of that same synchronism that has gone astray a little bit. Yeah. And well, an orthodoxy has always done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just standard, been standard practice in, in Roman orthodoxy is to, is to pull that kind of stuff. The Masonic Order does the same thing. You can believe whatever you want and be amazing. No, you can't. Hmm. You shouldn't. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. That one's got me in, that statement's got me in trouble in some of the churches that I've been in, even on the board at. As, as those who are Masons get ticked off at me, but hey. <laughs> so, okay, I'm not even gonna try to get back, get into anywhere from any of this. This was just an opportunity to carry on what we're talking about in Daniel, which is standing for the Lord in a society that doesn't want to hear the truth. And that is becoming more and more the case. I was having a discussion, not with, about the Lord particularly, uh, with my neighbors because uh, we were doing park cleanup yesterday and the one thing we did agree on was there's nowhere in, you can go to find truth anymore in the media about anything on either side it's like how do you know what's really going on and the answer is I don't know I haven't figured that one out yet if anybody knows let, that, let me know but it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're sitting on you can't find out what's true from any side so that's becomes more and more problematical. But see, there's an exception to that. We have truth mm -hmm. that we know is truth, that is verifiable as truth, but is only believed when people are open to the Holy Spirit speaking to them. And so even when you have truth, more people than not don't want truth. And that's what got Daniel in trouble, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because... He worked his way up the food chain, and the people on the food chain didn't appreciate that. And it didn't matter what truth was. What mattered was they were ticked. 
And that's what got him into trouble. And so we've moved into the prophetic section. And as I said, one of the things that happens is when we pray, we don't necessarily expect an immediate response. And when we pray the Lord's will, and he answers it, why are we surprised? <laughs> it was Gleason Archer said, the Lord's more eager to answer than we are to ask. Boy, is that the truth, right? Mm -hmm. And so, <laughs> I prayed about this. <clears throat> Would you believe that God did? <clears throat> Wasn't that the point? Oh, okay. So, in light of this, Daniel, of course, has been praying for the Jewish people, actually, as you read his prayer, you understand he's actually praying for Israel. He's praying for the whole nation, even though it's still really two peoples at this point. And what he's been praying about is, remember, he, he was reading Jeremiah, and he's reading about the 70 years, and he's trying to figure out when does the 70 years start and when does the 70 years end so that their people <coughs> will begin to be able to go back into the city. When are you going to bring them in to the desolation of Jerusalem? And before he could finish praying, he was interrupted. And boy, he was interrupted in ways that we don't normally get interrupted. The angel Gabriel showed up. Now that's an interruption. Hmm. In fact, I think we'd have a heart attack if that happened, either that or you'd all run over to my office because you were probably thinking you were hallucinating. <laughs> because it says, and we're in chapter 9, verse 20, when I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and laying my supplication before the Lord my God on behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was uttering my prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had previously seen in the vision, was sent forth in flight and reached me about the time of the evening offering. Flew down from heaven. Now you know why they show him with wings. And he made me understand by speaking to me, saying, Daniel, I have come forth to give you understanding. A word went forth as you began your plea, and I have come to tell it, for you are precious. So mark the word and understand this vision. <laughs> Interesting statement. He's saying, <clears throat> when you started praying, God knew you were starting to pray, and he called over, picked up the phone and says, uh, Gabriel, you need to go down. And so about the time of the evening sacrifice, Gabriel gets down, apparently. It took him a little bit longer, and he just beam him straight down. And he flew down, and he's saying, and notice he's saying, because you're so precious. Boy, what a startling comment that is, isn't it? But see, Daniel's precious, why? Because he's committed to walking in God's way. He's God's child. I think, don't we sort of fall into that category of God's children? Aren't we sort of precious? Fortunately, angels tended to work mostly around Israel because it would get really weird if, in spite of all the people that they're guardian angels and little angel pins and little angel statues, and there's nothing in Scripture about that kind of stuff. But he gets sent down to answer Daniel's question. So this whole 70-week business, of course, is one of those that's hotly debated among the different eschatological systems. I love that word because I can say it correctly. <laughs> and <laughs> because if you believe that Scripture means what it says and take it literally, then you come up with a messianic kingdom. 
you come up with a literal seven-year tribulation. And after that, you come up with a literal thousand-year rule of Christ. And it all means what it says, which is a unique concept that apparently isn't held by the church in general today. Remember, that's as rational as that is and as consistent as that is with Scripture. That is the minority position within Christendom or even within the church. Not just Christendom, but the church. <laughs> and part of the reason is that a lot of the church brings their eschatological views out of Roman Orthodoxy. And part of the reason is, I think, pride of Gentiles, which I think is what Paul is referring to in Romans 11, which doesn't like the idea that the church is simply a parenthesis between two commas, even though that parenthesis has been longer than the, most of everything else. And so, who wants to be a comma? <laughs> but here we find, in this last section of chapter 9, probably one of the most important prophetic recordings of Scripture. Because much of the rest, Revelation, all ties back to this vision. Arno Gabeline describes it this way. The prophetic message Gabriel brought from the throne of God to Daniel is perhaps the most important, not only in the book of Daniel, but in the whole Bible. The clear understanding of it is indispensable to every reader of God's word who wants to know God's purposes concerning the future. In the few verses which contain the words of Gabriel, events relating to the Jewish future history are predicted. The return of the Jews from Babylonian captivity, the rebuilding of the city in the time of distress, the coming of Christ in humiliation, his death, the destruction of the temple and the city by the Romans, the desolation and wars which were to follow. All of this is pre-written in this great prophecy. The final end of the time of the Gentiles, the great eventful week of the seven years, is revealed in the last verse. This concluding verse of the passage records the tribulation and if you look very carefully you can also find the church we're buried somewhere in verse 26 between the temple's destruction and the 70th week of Daniel we're not there the time of Jacob's trouble we're invisible we're just in between a comma and not talked about so let me read these verses Picking up at verse 24. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city until the measure of the transgression is filled and that of sin complete, until iniquity is expiated and the eternal righteousness ushered in and prophetic vision ratified and the holy of holies anointed. You must know and understand from the issuance of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the time of the anointed leader is seven weeks. And for 62 weeks it will be rebuilt, square and moat, but in the time of distress. And after those 62 weeks, the anointed one will disappear and vanish. And the army of a leader who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, but its end will come through a flood. Desolation is decreed until the end of the war. During one week he will make a firm covenant with many. For a half a week he will put a stop to the sacrifice and the meal offering. 
and at the corner of the altar will be an appalling abomination until the de decreed destruction will be poured down upon the appalling thing. Let me just, so you hear it in a different translation. That one I read was the Jewish Publication Society. I'll read you from the ESV. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in troubled time. And after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and with the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for a half a week. And he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And the wing of the abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decree end is poured out on the desolate. Now you already, some of that already sounds familiar and you know what he's talking about. This is the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 30 verse 7 talks, talks about it. Alas, the day is so great that there is none like it. It is the time of distress for Jacob. Yet he shall be saved out of it. Remember, it was Jeremiah that Daniel was reading and caused him to pray and then caused Gabriel to come down and give him this information. So as we examine this prophecy and its meaning, one thing is very clear, and this has to be understood. The focus of the future history is the nation Israel. The whole point of this is the end of the time of the Gentiles and the restoration of Israel. This is the biggest problem for preterism that says all this happened in 70 AD because while the city was destroyed, where is the restoration of Israel that's supposed to follow after it? It ain't happened. So then we have to spiritualize the text because we can't take it literally because obviously that creates problems. So therefore we gotta have it mean something other than what it says. But be careful, we can be dogmatic about some of this. Some of it is a little hard to wrap our brains around, so we want to be careful about it. There are godly people that have opinions that don't agree, and we, so we don't want to go to war on prophecy. Nobody's saved or lost by their prophetic system. I keep coming back to that one point. So what we, can we take from this prophecy? Well, first, since God has fulfilled much of what's already here, literally, the only way to understand it consistently is that what's left will be fulfilled literally. You don't change the rules. Or as the old saying is, you don't change horses in the middle of a race. Because it's really painful. <laughs> Two, no matter how bad things get, the promise is that God will restore his people and bring peace and justification to the righteous. And whether we're talking about Israel or we're talking about the church, we know that God is going to bring an end to unrighteousness and bring the world to what he intended it to be. So we know how the story ends. No matter how crazy it gets, no matter how bad it is, 
we know it's going to end the way it's supposed to. And that's to be a comfort. And accordingly, our responsibility in the middle of all of this, and that's what we started to, off by talking about, is that we are to live for him, regardless of what's going on. That is to affect how we witness to people, how we interact with people. That should impact our political views, and regardless of how that affects that, it should affect how we discuss them and play them out so that we're not caught up in the craziness and ugliness that's going on around us. Even if we get into these discussions, and believe me, the old rule about don't discuss politics or religion, well, we're not supposed to discuss either. We're supposed to discuss relationship with Christ, which is a religion. And so, therefore, we can avoid both those topics and stay out of trouble. And then as we talk about the Lord, then we'll get in trouble for that. But at least that's worth getting in trouble for. The rest of it ain't. So you can have... Yes? I would say that's really where the biggest problem I have with folks with different eschatological systems is when they take away from that point. You can believe a whole bunch of different things about the end times as long as today we're still living for him. Yes. And it's all about him. It's when it becomes we're not living for him and all of a sudden we're over in plan B or C or we have to prepare for such a whatever. Forget that Bible stuff, you know. Yes. That's when we have a problem with eschatological system. Yes. We need to, you know, yeah, because regardless of what your system is, what are you supposed to be doing? Being busy for him. Be interrupted or not interrupted, but be busy for him. And if you're wrong and we're right, you're going to be a lot happier than we're going to be if you're right and we're wrong. Okay, But none of which affects our calling, which is what? Love God, love others, and make disciples. <coughs> be busy for him. Spread the gospel. Be interrupted. Whatever. And that's what we're supposed to be doing regardless. Where I become concerned about prophetic systems is what that says about your view of God and Scripture more than what your specific eschatological view is. That's where the problems really come up as far as I'm concerned. Okay. But you can believe one that's wrong, because if you don't agree with me, obviously you are. But if you're doing what you're called to do as a believer, I don't care. And you shouldn't either. And by the way, that should be the case Regardless of whatever your views happen to be politically, what's out of the aisle yourself, if you're being busy for the Lord and you're consistent with who he's called you to be, it's okay you're wrong because it's not going to matter. Whoever you think is right or wrong is going to be gone in four or eight years or is already gone or whatever. It doesn't matter. We could have the greatest system in the world, which some people think we do, but I mean everything could be running wonderfully and it wouldn't matter because in another ten years it would be something else. What's the only thing that doesn't change? The truth of the gospel and the Lord in your life and that's where our focus needs to be. And by the way, we'd be a lot less stressed about all that nonsense. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is. Okay. Yes? Well, that would go along with yesterday then because Jehovah's Witnesses knocked on my door yesterday and usually I just look through the people and ignore them. But I decided to talk with them yesterday and this time it was not two guys, it was two girls. And one was middle-aged, and then, of course, the younger one, who's the trainee, and we're 19 or 20 years old or so. Um, so the middle-aged gal, she began talking to me about the end times and how to survive and bringing up Proverbs and all that stuff. And as I spoke with her, I told her I was born again when I was 15 years old. Uh, but I was looking at her, but my words were speaking to this young lady because, <laughs> right, because I yeah. wanted her to hear something besides a slam door in their face or somebody chewing them out because they're 
spreading bad stuff and things. Um, and so I and I told him, I told her, I says, you know what? None of this really matters. What really matters is what you do with Jesus Christ while you're here. And I told them the same thing. We're only here for a short time, and that is long enough to accept or reject Christ as your Savior. And I said, that is the most important thing, because when we die, surviving all these other things doesn't matter. And I at least wanted that young girl to hear that. So I was, my eyes were on the, the middle-aged yeah. gal that I was talking to this other gal. And that's when they start dragging off the trainee yeah, fairly quickly. To make disciples, that's what we're here for. Yeah. And that's the point now. I'm like, hey, except I don't have to go to the door. I just look at my iPad and say, go in. <laughs> but, uh, and let's, which is actually good because then God can't make me talk to him. If I answer that. <laughs> <laughs> because I have gotten in that conversation. It's interesting for me, the way I've gotten into those conversations, is they ask me what, what the mezuzah on my door is. And that opens some interesting conversations with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. And so if he makes me, I talk to him. That's, that's how come I ended up getting cursed with fire and brimstone by a couple of Mormons in the center of the court because I talked to them. Uh, <laughs> if he makes <laughs> my, my grandfather was a pastor, and he used to open the door and be ready and speak with them all the time. So they quit coming around. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you get on this. I, I'm sure I'm on one. Uh, which is fine. I, you know, I don't. That's not generally my calling. But the point I was making here earlier is, we're all called to witness when the Lord gives us the opportunity. Whether we have the gift of evangelism is irrelevant. Okay. Whether our yes. I, I was just the the, the the prayer to pray when you're answering that door is that God would speak to you. Yeah. It's not you right. talking to them. Yeah. Say God, give me words. Yeah, Whatever absolutely. You say to these people. Yeah. Let him talk to you. And by the way, if you feel called to a, reach out to a specific group, please inform yourself about the group, because that's, now we're talking something different. Okay, right? Then you know, then there are the things you need to address. But if it's simply that God has motivated you, like in this situation, to talk to them in a arbitrary situation, he will give you the words just, to, I'm sorry, it's no different to talking to them than the atheist, the agnostic, my Jewish relatives who don't know the scripture, so I can't go to the Old Testament. It's the allowing the Lord to speak through you. It's only one Holy Spirit. Yes. And so every one of us, if the Lord's put us in that situation, every one of us can be a witness for him because it's the Holy Spirit speaking through us anyway. And I don't care whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 70 years. If that's your calling, then we're talking about something different in terms of preparation and all of that, okay? But just like the pastor's not the only one that should do hospital visitation. It's like, okay, my job is to drag my neighbor into church so that the pastor can lead him to the Lord. No. Yeah, but that's what we pay for. No. No. <laughs> All of us are called to ministry. Everybody's ministry is different. We're all called to ministry. Whether it's full-time paid, full-time unpaid, or life, we're all called to minister. Whether it's in the hospital, like Ron's been able to do through his, with people, yes. Um, like, a, I have a case, and then, you know, I'm not the, probably the perfect one to witness anybody in the family, but, um, that we, you know, you said the regardless how we live to God. And uh, the other day, my, my son, um, he used to play in uh, AAU team basketball, so he's pretty good. 
very aggressive, very fast, and um, then then he switched to the um, the football suddenly. <laughs> I don't know why, but then so he was away from a football uh, basketball for a while. So the recently he says, oh, okay, well, I'll go back to the basketball, but not in the AAU team anymore because it's just uh, too vigorous. So I said, okay, recreational, but it's still all high school boys, mm -hmm. pretty tough. And, and I've been taking him to uh, team practice and games, and I can watch him. It's like, wow, he used only 30% of his energy. <laughs> and then, so fi finally I told him and I said, well, that's not right. You can play better than that. And he said, oh, nobody cares whether how I play, you know, and just, I just do it for fun. You know, I don't have to spend 100% of my energy. 30% or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. it's fine, nobody cares. But I said, well, I'm not sure about that, you know, maybe God cares about it, how you play, how you approach to your team, how you approach to your coach, you know, maybe, and he says, oh, God doesn't care about that either. So I said, well, I'm not sure about that, you know, because I know your potential, I know you can play, and then, and you know it, but, this is how you're treating your teammates. I'm not going to use my 100% for you guys. Mm. You guys just play on your own. I'm mm. just going to help you guys here, 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 here. You know, that kind of attitude doesn't, doesn't appear good in anybody's eyes. I can tell, teammates can tell, maybe the coach can tell how you play. And, uh, and then so I told them, God does care, how, not the, how well you play, but uh, your attitude towards the team and the coach. So you, you should remember that. And then so he said, that after that he says, okay, next time I'll do my best, regardless, <coughs> you know. So to me, it doesn't have to be trying to convince uh, non-Christian people. <laughs> to, you know, this is a true God, you know. Sometimes there are little things like that, yeah. how you approach mm -hmm. to God, regardless. It could be just a basketball game. Even that can make a significant change within yourself, you know. And to me, that's also important as, as much as trying to convince other people that uh, who do you live today, who you serve today. Absolutely, you know? because it's how do we live as Christians, right? How we live in the workplace. What is our testimony? It gets back to what we were talking about last week. It's that old, does our walk support our talk? Are we, like a lot of people do today in the jobs, are we doing, and that was a good example, 30%? of the job because we can get away with it and because our colleagues would hope we would because they don't want somebody in there doing 100 percent because it makes them look bad or are we being who god calls us to be which is putting in eight hours for eight hours kind of deal so that flows over into our testimony our living for him in all aspects of our life and that's very accurate we're supposed to live that way in whatever we're doing even if it isn't ministry or whatever we're doing, we're supposed to do it in a way that's a testimony, right? Again, lifestyle evangelism was the name of the book, right? Back in the 70s. And there's validity in that because God will give us people we'll see one time and maybe we'll have a chance to talk about the gospel with them. That's fine. But what about all the people that see us all the time? So, yep. It, oh, and by the way, you may not be the perfect witness. The only perfect witness was Christ, so don't worry about it. You're sitting in a room of non-perfect witnesses. We're all in that boat. As I always say, if you have to wait till you have your act together to do something, you'll never do anything at all. 
because none of us have our acts together. This is definitely going to go two weeks, which is fine with me. <laughs> so we're supposed to live with an intensity of focus on the Lord's coming. He says it in Matthew 24, 42. Therefore stay away, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And that's why I'm saying we're supposed to stay busy for him regardless. When you get in debates about eschatology, if you want to talk about foundational interpretation issues, fine. But we always need to come back, like with the non-believer, we come back to a question, who do you say Christ is? With the believer, we come back to a question, but are we living for him now and doing what he's called us to do now? Because our system has nothing to do with that. And you know the reason for getting caught up in these side issues is because they're more interesting and don't require anything from us. Yeah. To distraction. Yeah. Rather than and we, focusing yes. on your relationship and with the Lord people and will yeah. deflect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, when you're trying to give them the gospel, they'll deflect. Mm -hmm. When you're trying to adjust how are we living for the Lord, we'll deflect. Mm -hmm. My mother was really good. She Baptist, right? She got very frustrated sometimes at the deep theology because, yeah, but what are we doing for the Lord? We don't have to understand. Somebody needs to, but that doesn't mean we have to, to do what he's called us to do. He doesn't call anybody to be theologians other than Paul and a handful others. And even the theologians go off the rails at times, right? Even with them, you know, we don't want to do what the Jews do with the oral law that was finally written down and turn that into an equivalent of Scripture. I don't want to turn even good, sound theologians into an equivalent with Scripture. <laughs> anyway. Mm -hmm. So what happens? He's praying and he gets interrupted. In the middle of Daniel's prayer, notice of confession of his own sin, right? And the nation's sin... His petition is interrupted by somebody standing in front of him. And who's standing in front of him? Gabriel. By the way, he's been preparing all day. It's, it wasn't time for the evening sacrifice when the being arrives from <coughs> heaven. And he shows up in the form of a man. And he informs Daniel he's getting this message from God because he's greatly esteemed. I'm going to take another side trip here for a minute. Because we talked about last week. Confession. It's reading an interesting article in the current issue of Christianity Today. And that is this whole concept of confession and repentance from a <clears throat> biblical perspective, not an orthodox perspective, has been lost to a great extent. The idea of praying for the sins of the nation, and not just generalized but specific, that God would bring people to him that there would be a restoration of people's relationship with him, that we pray for the sins of the body, we pray for our own sins, specifically, remember what's the, this is what Daniel is doing, remember it's a, if we ask his forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive, what, all unrighteousness, that means if we deal with the sins we know we've committed, he takes care of the ones we're not aware of. And he's also gracious because 
he doesn't send us a list showing us all the stuff we actually did. He only asks us to deal with the stuff we know about. And if he wants us to know about it, he'll make it clear. But do we adamantly pray for our nation? And I don't care whether we're talking about two years ago in that group or now with this group. This nation has gone off the trolley and it's not dealing with the issues. I don't care what side you're on. The issue is this nation has turned away from the standards that it lived under that were God's standards. Whether it was Christian or not isn't the issue. It was living by God's value system. And the nation has turned away from that. I don't care. On both sides, on every side of the aisle. Okay. So are we praying for this nation? Are we praying for our leaders? Are we praying for our military and the people like from this church that are over there in Korea now? If you're on their Facebook page, look like they're having a really good time with their kids. <laughs> Don't look like they're sweating bullets right now. But you know, this is what Daniel was doing. And if great numbers of the Jews had been doing this, things might have turned around a whole lot quicker, huh? As Christians, we need to quit praying with our political sociological biases and start praying for the nation because we care about God doing something here. And quit getting hung up on us, all this other stuff. If we believe God is in control of government and he's either allowing or placing, then we need to be praying for his will to be done and quit getting so hung up on this person or that person. And it's easy to get dug into those debates when your Christian friend starts talking stuff that's 180 degrees away from you're coming from and you just gotta say I mean I bite my fingers a lot when I'm on Facebook so I don't type responses to some of this because it's nuts but it's not relevant to the important questions is it none of this is I'm not saying some of the issues don't affect people and are hurt people I'm not talking about that I'm talking about what are we called to do, and the only thing that we can do aside from voting, which seems to not affect anything anyway, is to <coughs> pray because that's much more likely to have some kind of an effect, isn't it? And that's what Daniel's doing. And he's interrupted by Gabriel, who gives him an immediate answer to what's going to happen. We, hopefully he'll get interrupted by God and says, okay, that's enough, you're out of here. But meanwhile, so who is Gabriel anyway? personal name means strong man of God. The heavenly messenger who interpreted to Daniel the meaning of the vision of the ram and the goat. He appears four times in the Bible, each time bringing to human beings a message from the Lord. Twice he appeared to Daniel. In the New Testament he appeared to announce the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus. You know Daniel's vision is important when he gets Gabriel. Because the only other people that got Gabriel was Elizabeth and Mary. Boy, this guy doesn't work too hard. It's like clergy works one day a week. He, you know, he only worked four times in the history of the Info. So Daniel had been praying. He wants to know what's going on with the 70 years. When is it going to end? He wants to see Jerusalem restored and the people return. And he wants to see this because he desires God's mercy. 
on the nation. Do we desire God's mercy on the nation? If we don't, why don't we? And Gabriel informs him the sin of the people is such that it would take 77s for people to find true restoration and eternal righteousness. So, since this obviously has not occurred yet, the question is, what do the 77s refer to? And some translations refer to the period as 70 weeks. And if that's the case, then each week consists of seven years. Just keep in the back of your mind if you're really obsessive and want to go get your calculator out that Jewish years were made up of 30-day months. So their year is a 360-day year, okay, which complicates us a tad bit. Now, as already noted, the whole point of this prophecy is that it focuses on the Jew and Jerusalem, on Israel, and it's off the Gentile nations here as being directed to them, which is why this section is back in Hebrew. It also means that this has nothing to do with the church. And this is really important to understand because that does affect your eschatological systems. This whole message is God's message about the restoration of the nation Israel. And this should not come as a big surprise because the church is a mystery in the Old Testament, which means it isn't talked about. Colossians 1.24 and 26 through 27. For the sake of his body, that is the church, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now is revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. The whole reason the church is a mystery. Now, all through the Old Testament and in the Gospels, you find plenty of comments and hints, both, about the fact that God was going to do something with the Gentiles at some point. We see this in Christ's ministry, you see, see this elsewhere in the Old Testament. But the concept of the church, a body that would be made up of both Jews and Gentiles, is found nowhere in the Old Testament. It's not found in the Gospels particularly, it's kind of hinted at a little bit. By the time you get to the early church, remember the first major debate was, whether people had to become Jewish in order to become Christian, which means the earliest church didn't understand a concept of a body made up of Jew and Gentile either. God had to show them. So this was a mystery. Even when the church is born at Pentecost and we've got this new thing, the concept of the Jew-Gentile, even though Jesus talked about the wall being torn down between the Jew and the Gentile, <coughs> referring to the temple and the separation between the two, even when he's talking about that, they still don't get it until the whole thing is debated at the council in Jerusalem. And they said, oh yeah, I guess they don't have to be proselytized into Judaism to be Christians. Flowers of the way. One time you find, depending on translation, the word used church in the Old Testament, and that's referring to the congregation of Israel. But then people want to grab that and say, see, here's the church. No, it's not. Come on. And then and my favorite hobby horse, I always go back to Romans 11 and say, what do you do with that if you believe the church has replaced Israel? Because that is so clear that Paul's saying, and by the way, if you guys come in and think the church replaces Israel, don't bet on it. I mean, he says it right out 
You can't go that route. But, of course you can. So, this is about Israel and its restoration. And we'll talk about the 70 weeks next time.